Hi folks, this is a special episode of the Gamers with Glasses show, a spoiler cast for Double Fine's recently released Psychonauts 2. I'm Christian Haynes, one of the managing editors at Gamers with Glasses, and I'm joined by another editor from our team, Blake Reno. Hi. Fair warning, this is a spoiler cast, so you might want to complete the game before listening. We'll be talking about the plot, themes, gameplay, and more. But first, let's talk a little bit about the background of the game. So this is a game that initially started off as a crowdfunded game uh, via fig.co. Some folks might know that fig is actually uh, not just donations, it's in fact an investment platform. So the idea here is people invest in games and they recoup on the profits. But uh, what happened here that was a little different was that Microsoft ended up acquiring Double Fine a couple of years ago. And when they acquired them, they actually paid out the investors upfront before the release of the game. Microsoft injected a lot of new cash into Double Fine as a studio. It enabled them to, in fact, put a lot of things back into Psychonauts 2 that they initially were going to cut, including a number of boss battles and some worlds or levels. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, this is released on basically every console but Switch and PS5. Uh, it released via Games Pass or Game Pass on Xbox. And it's, a, I would say, doing very well in reviews generally. I think it's contending for a lot of people's game of the year. I know it's contending uh, for that for us. Uh, and the last thing I'll say, um, as might be obvious from the two in the title, this is a sequel to Psychonauts earlier game, Psychonauts, or to Double Fine's earlier game, Psychonauts, which was released 16 years ago, in fact. So it's quite a delayed sequel, um, one that's been kind of on simmer for quite a while, as it were. So the premise of the game is that you play a character named Raz, and Raz goes to work for the Psychonauts, who are essentially like an intelligence agency, but for people's minds. Is that about right, Blake? Yeah, basically, you think of a, a sort of CIA that works outside of any sort of government forces. Uh, I don't know how how possible this is, but it sort of exists in its own fantasy world, although they mention uh, governments existing and the fact that they work without government, quote unquote, interference. Um, and they sort of play around with sort of CIA tropes too, or spy thriller tropes, which is fun. Yeah, you definitely get Raz posing like the, you know, titular protagonist from the James Bond movies uh, during uh, cuts between scenes. Uh, so there's definitely a kind of homage being paid to a lot of, especially 60s era spy movies. Um, they are, you know, supposedly outside of any kind of government. They're also... You know, framed at the very least as an entirely or almost entirely positive agency, or at the very least, their mission is one of healing. And we'll make, talk about that later on. Right. Although there are some uh, potential ethical lapses, considering uh, Sasha Nine does like to joke about uh, torturing as, as running experiments. 
Yeah, there's definitely, you know, a little bit everything short of waterboarding, let's say. Um, And so, you know, the premise of the game's gameplay is that you're diving into various minds. And when you're diving into a mind, the kind of architecture of each level is based on the character's personality. And so you get these different kinds of scenarios based on specific character traits. And in some cases, in fact, uh, multiple levels based on a single character's mind that has maybe been shattered and different parts of themselves have kind of come undone. And part of what you're doing is reuniting them. And so that, you know, one of the, I think, really nice aspects of this game, which is essentially a 3D platformer for the most part with some light combat interspersed and some boss battles. But one of the nice parts is it really lends itself to a lot of thematic variety because the idea here is the levels are as various as different personalities might be. Anything we're missing there on the premise of the game? Um, I don't think so. Um, I guess just the um, the fact that uh, the, the sort of new thing about Psychonauts 2 is Psychonauts 1 was at like a summer camp for uh, gifted children. And um, after, uh, after defeating Coach Oleander and fixing his mind so he is not so evil, anymore um you are now part of the psychonauts internship program and there is a new cast of uh peers for rasputin to uh sort of uh get in all sorts of hijinks with yeah i think one of the parts of the game that i really quite like is Ravs goes in expecting after the events of the first psychonauts where he defeated the coach and kind of brought order back to the psychonauts in a way he expects that he's going to be a full-blown agent and instead he gets kind of knocked down into the internship program uh and there's definitely some protestation that happens there and he kind of goes along with it but there's a lot of kind of pushing at the limits of that that produces some pretty humorous results right and i think one of the one of the best jokes is i don't even remember who said who says this to him but uh one of the characters is like feels like it's been 20 years and then rasputin's like 20 years it's been three days (laughs) because even though uh people waited like you know as you said 16 years for the sequel uh in 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 canon time it's only three days after um after summer camp's over so so nobody's aged a day but then the players have aged you know 15 16 years i i played this uh i played psychonauts one about eight years ago so thankfully i wasn't waiting as long as some people but yeah yeah and and i will say uh you know if any folks are listening to this maybe not having played the game i know there are folks i'm i'm one of those folks that will listen to spoiler castle that have been played games pretty regularly and so if you're one of those people um and here's a you know a quick plug to the excellent podcast kane and rinse which covers all kinds of wonderful games but uh if you're one of those people like me i'll just say psychonauts 2 is a fun jumping on point too they do a recap at the very beginning uh i never played the vr game in between psychonauts oh, 1 and psychonauts 2 because i just don't play VR. I'm not going to pay $500 to play a three minute tech or a three hour tech demo for Psychonauts. Yeah. <laughs> but this treats that as canon, but you know, it recaps yeah. all of that. And so, I mean, all that like, happens is they, they rescue um, the beard guy. Yeah. <laughs> the, the grand head of the Psychonauts. The grand head. Yeah. Uh, 
And, you know, what I'll say, uh, besides that this is a good jumping on point, is, you know, Double Fine Games is probably most closely associated with the head of the studio, Tim Schafer. And Tim Schafer has been really well known for his adventure games as well as his platformers and really a variety of games. Uh, he's also, I guess, pretty well known for being good friends with Jack Black, which is why Jack Black <laughs> is in every single one of their games these days. Uh, including this one, yeah, they always uh, they always find perfect roles for him. Somehow, somehow, I gotta they wonder do. if it's like them writing around the fact that they know they can get him, or it's just like you know, here's the most appropriate character for Jack Black to play. At this point, they're clearly writing around him. I forget who you know what podcast I was listening to, or it was like they did interviewing Tim Schafer, and the interview was cut off because Tim Schafer was going on vacation with Jack Black. <laughs> It was like Tim Schaefer and his wife and Jack Black and his partner were going on vacation together. So I think at this point, it's just like there's going to be a Jack Black role in every game they do. Nothing wrong um, with that. He he has a good voice. He does have uh, a good voice. Great underrated, voice. For... Definitely underrated in, in the King Kong film. Um, Jeez, yeah. But uh, another funny Tim Schaefer story is when he was interviewing uh, to be uh, for a job at LucasArts, he mentioned something in the in one of their games that was only in pirated copies of the game. Um, but he got the job anyway, and the rest is history, really. But, right. you know, that, that really speaks to, uh, you know how how good he is at least in interviews but in talking about games and uh yeah. and how his mind works so yeah i think he's an important voice in the video game community as well he's somebody who's pro-union uh he's somebody who takes stands pretty quickly when stands need to be taken um uh, progressive stands that is uh but yes you know he's known i think mostly for his video game writing and especially for writing on a series of adventure games that include secret of monkey island bay of the tentacle full throttle uh up through psychonauts uh which was the first game from double fine if i'm not mistaken uh after lucasarts really kind of folded following uh their i mean they folded after a great game grim fandango um and then, you know, games like Brutal Legend came out. I would say that Psychonauts is a pretty successful game and that Double Fine has had a lot of games that have kind of, I don't want to say that like they've struck out with their games, but they've never quite had the same success uh, with almost any of their games. I think they quite Yeah, their, their games have always been, on the critical side, good to lauded, but have never sold extremely well. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, I mean, they are a studio that tries a lot of different things that takes risks, whether it's in a game like Massive Chalice, which is like a strategy game where you play different generations of this legacy or Broken it's like Age. costume quest or Broken Point Age. Like Adventure, yeah, which is, yeah. you know, what Tim Schafer was doing with LucasArts and... Yeah, but Psychonauts it, 2 seems to be doing well both, I think, critically, and it seems to be playing being played by a lot of people. So hopefully, you know. Yeah, I, I think Game Pass is a big deal for day one on a new, brand new Double Fine game, and this will get people more interested in the studio and the back catalog because yeah, that's how uh, I Psychonauts it. 1, Brutal Legend are both on Game Pass, although Brutal Legend is like a love it or hate it thing. Um, yeah. I, I kind of hated it because the open world was, was too big for, with not much to do, you know, yeah. it's more padding than anything. Um, but yeah. Yeah. This is, I think one of the things it's hard not to be a bit ambivalent about Microsoft purchasing a swath of studios, yeah. but on the other hand, the stuff we've been seeing come out of these studios that have been sort of graced with the Microsoft money is good. 
And I think Double Fine is a studio that has actually suffered from a cash shortage in their development. And so it's it's hard also not to be a little bit positive about, hey, look, they produced a game that they wouldn't have been able to produce right. with this Microsoft money. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the studios they've acquired have not uh, been studios that you feel like Microsoft's going to come in and completely change the company. Like what we're seeing with Activision Blizzard, both in terms of game quality and in uh, culture or culture, uh, yeah. corporate culture. Um, whereas like Bethesda already has these very established franchises that are, I don't want to say they're formulaic, but they follow certain uh, genre conventions that they themselves have sort of created. And it's hard for, why would Microsoft want to mess that up? And then it's a similar thing with Double Fine. I think on some level they recognize um, that Tim Schafer just makes good games and that uh, a cash injection for his company uh, might be the best thing for both uh, Double Fine and Microsoft. And to have, uh, and especially because Microsoft has always seemed relatively behind um, uh, Sony and Nintendo in terms of supporting indie titles. Um, I think, although it's hard to call Double Fine indie anymore after being acquired, but, um, you know, the indie has become so commonplace just like with indie music that it's like indie is more of a style of game than actual description of how the game is funded um so yeah but yeah i feel i don't feel uh, a sense of anxiety about microsoft acquiring a bunch of studios personally yeah yeah i think i'm more or less on the same page as you it's kind of a wait and see sort of thing uh, but so far, it seems like what they've been doing has been pretty helpful for a lot of studios that they've acquired. Um, so what did you think about the start of the game? Let's talk about that start of the game, which I, I think is a pretty, it's a good start. It's not all like, I don't know if it's an amazing start. It takes a little while to uh, tutorialize, but it does throw you right into a pretty interesting mind. Yeah, right. Like, I think that was the best part of the tutorials that it doesn't make you go through like that is one thing i do remember about psychonauts one and looking back online a lot of people hated about the first psychonauts is like the first like one to two hours of gameplay is just like the game running you through tutorials that you have to perform you have to literally and figuratively jump through hoops before you can actually play the game but this one was set up so much better where it's like you're you're experiencing a mind they throw you right into like a level proper um and tell you to do the things and it's sort of set up like like a pretty linear level you're not going to get lost super easily but it gives you both um these hallways to go through um where it's just like knowing how to move and the ways you can move and then there are also enough like wide open like platforming proper sections where let's talk about what's distinctive about these hallways which is that they're covered in teeth tongues and gums and posters and posters yeah and those yeah posters trying to convince dr lobato to not tell him who he was working with right you're in a you're in a dentist mind that's basically constructed out of teeth and right 
tongues and throats and gums. Yeah, and it's wonderfully the game, disgusting. The game does have that warning right at the beginning where it's like, you know, these are these are the things you'll find in this game, a, a trigger warning, a content warning. And one of them is like people with dentophobia shouldn't play the game because yeah, that first level, it's like you use your telekinesis to open a zipper and a mouth, and that's really weird. But you know, this is psychonauts and double fine. So it's it's double fine, right? But yeah, but, but yeah, I think it was a great way to open up the game and it introduces you to um, some of the characters as well. Like uh, Coach Oleander gets stuck in there with you and, you know, introduces him as like not a bad guy like he was in the first Psychonauts and uh, Sasha Nine, who's probably my favorite uh, non-Raz character. Yes, I just like his accent. European spy, the vaguely European spy. <laughs> right. Right. Always um, smoking and has sunglasses on at all times. Yeah. Right. And and it turns out, you know, that what you're doing is you're in fact trying to get Dr. Labada to confess who basically, you know, made him infiltrate and otherwise harass the psychonauts. And kidnap uh the grand head. And kidnap the grand head, right? Um, so again, this is the content from the VR game, uh, Rhombus of Ruin. Uh, and then from there, you're introduced to the Psychonaut headquarters, uh, which is its own kind of interesting space. Uh, it's, it's a, a you know, it's a, it's a hub world, but a little yeah. more, uh, complex. There's, there's stuff to explore and do. Yeah. It's a pretty, I mean, I think this is where like you see some of the pretty standard aspects of the game relative to other 3d platformers, right? This is the castle in Super Mario 64, essentially. Yeah. Right. There's some stuff around it, but for the most part, there's things in it, these things in it act as portals into the levels proper. Uh, but there's also a lot more character interactions. Um, and, and I think one of the strengths of the game that I, paradoxically might also be, at least for me, its weakness. Uh, one of the strengths of the game is the degree to which it introduces narrative or storytelling within the hub world, within different levels. There's a lot of actually cutscenes in this game, much more than I was expecting. To me, that sometimes broke up the rhythm of the game a little bit too much. But there is a lot of like, okay, you're going to go to class now and you're going to go to class and it's going to be a, a several minute long cutscene. And that's eventually going to segue into uh the thing that in fact will then segue into your first proper level right right i i disagreed um when i first heard that opinion but then the more i thought about it the more i sort of agreed with it i think um i think it gives you a lot of choice with respect to when to view the cutscenes. but if you just want to go do the thing I think it was like, you know, you get to the end of one hallway, cutscene, the end of another hallway, cutscene, uh, the the door to the room you're supposed to go in, cutscene. So, yeah, yeah um, I think I spent a lot of time. I think I took a lot of time in between cutscenes, just like exploring space. So it didn't feel quite as bad. But, yeah, I think if you just want to get into the level, there are um, quite a few more cutscenes than I was expecting. And then. One of the things uh, that's not quite a cutscene that I'm sort of on the fence about is like when you when you just want to talk to someone to like, I don't know, get the lore or whatever, there are like seven or eight different questions you can ask them. And it's like I like 
you know, that just is one, a testament to how well written the game is, uh, that they seem to like work in jokes uh, with all these questions you can ask of the, of the agents like Sasha and Mia. Um, but at the same time, as somebody who's like a sort of completionist and wants to run through all that, hear all the jokes, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to sit here talking to this person for five minutes. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I'm sort of on the fence about that. It's it's both funny and a, a bit of a slog. Yeah, and I think it, it says something about the genre to which the game belongs, right? So I think it's easy to think platformer equals action game. And to some degree, that's obviously true. But actually, I think the 3D platformer has some of its own sort of generic conventions and constraints that actually change the rhythm of it from an, you know, as compared to an action game. And some of that is that it's a little bit, I wouldn't call it meditative, but there is a little bit more stop and start, stop and start than say, like your quote unquote cinematic adventure or action game, because there's little semi-autonomous parts of levels that you're going to probably repeat trying to get a collectible. There are collect-a-thon aspects here. Right. and you know, uh, there's just a lot of jokes, right? Like I think one of the things that distinguishes this game is that sometimes the game design is actually at the service of jokes. And I think that actually yeah. generally works pretty well. Yeah, I could, it, I I could be something it, that could be awful, but like it yeah, I think mostly it, works here. I think it almost always works uh, for me. And I, we agreed on one of the times in which it doesn't work, which we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with the uh, distinction that it's a distinct difference between 2D and 3D platformers where uh, 2D platformers just had like, four text boxes and then you're on your way whereas 3d platformers you're right there's a different rhythm to it and i think that's uh something i didn't realize i missed about the 2d platformers when i go back and play uh donkey kong country 2 all the time is like it's so easy to get into uh, a flow state when you're in a 2d platformer compared to playing through the story of a 3d platformer um especially collectathon one where it's like okay i've played through the level once now instead of playing through it again and getting in this flow state i have to get my binoculars out and look around everywhere to try and find where where these freaking figments are um because i love that i do love the figments the figments are these kind of like fluorescent stencil sketch images that are semi-translucent and that generally have to do with the theme of whatever your mind right. is. So they fit in interesting ways. of memories or experiences that the, the mind of the person you're in has. So they're really thematic, um, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're equivalent to coins or rings or the music notes in the Banjo-Kazooie games, except there can be far more than 100 in a given level. Um, and they contribute which, to leveling you as well. Yeah, they contribute to ranking you up um, which isn't like crucial to, to uh, finishing the game in any respect, but it does give you access to cool pins, uh, which, which are little like buffs you can give yourself ranging from uh, petting animals using the telekinesis power to um, uh, mon- when you find money or citanium, which is the currency in this game on the ground, you get double um, or there's the obviously the most OP one is makes your melee attacks more powerful. Um, but yeah. I, I do think, you know, one of the things, one of the questions I have for you, and it's something I'm still sort of thinking about, is whether or not there's a little bit too much, uh, not just of collectibles, but also of like 
too many menus, too much UI, too much like, <laughs> did we need pins? So, you could easily finish this game. I mean, actually, let me put it this way. Yeah. I was going to say you could easily finish this game without leveling your character up. And that's not true because just by virtue of completing certain parts, you would level up. But you don't need to go out of your way to level up because frankly, like leveling just isn't required to get past any part of this game. You will never have to worry about grinding, which is nice. The collectathon right. part is purely right. collection. People it just do not play a platformer game to grind. Like, have no. you ever heard of somebody grinding Mario? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, you know, not not except on dirty sort of uh, internet sites, but uh, that's a different right. thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's. I think that is sort of a. Uh, I think it's on close to a level of brilliant game design where it's like people who are really really into platformers like me i have a i a hundred percent of the game just last night after four days off to find the last four figments in bob's bottles um and yeah because i love the game enough and i love uh platformers enough i just 100 percented uh the original banjo kazooie a few months ago as well um because that's how I feel about platformers. But, you know, if somebody just wants to play the story, get through the game, not uh, strain their brain, finding that last figment in the, um, uh, I keep calling it the great, Grateful Dead level, but it's, uh, what is it? The Sensorium. Yes, uh, the King Sensorium. sensorium. Yeah. Um, There's one that took me like 30 minutes to find. Um I can understand people not wanting to go through that, but I'm, I have these OCD tendencies where it's like, if I like the game enough, I have to finish every, I have to wring every little bit out of it. And I guess on sub level, if you get to max rank, uh, you get a power that makes it so cooldowns are no longer a thing. So you can just spam side blast all day. <laughs> I mean, that would have made the final boss far easier, but uh, you know, it's not, it's not necessary at all. Yeah. And I think I, I'm somewhere in between the person that's looking to run through it without grabbing stuff and you. Like, I, I have never 100%ed a game. If I can help it, I never will. Uh, just it's not my MO. Um, I'm somebody who tends to like to like explore different gameplay mechanics, which means I have no problem not finishing games. Uh, you know, I, I your definition maybe. of finished is not watching the numbers go up. It's no, have no. I experienced everything I want to experience in this? Yeah, game? I think that's yeah, a good see, way. To I'm it. a JRPG stand, so watching numbers go up is my thing. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I think when I was into isometric role playing games more in the '90s, I was also sort of more into that with the original fallouts and Baldur's Gate and whatnot, but oh yeah, the, that's the a Western Wayne, style the older RPG. I've gotten. You like say. seeing, um, you like seeing your, your charisma rise instead exactly. of just your, your attack, your HP. Exactly. But I, but I do, I did find myself going out of the way sometimes to grab a uh, figment that I spotted. I didn't look for them if, you know, but if I saw one up in a corner that I knew was going to give me an interesting platforming challenge. I took advantage of that just to jump from point A to point B and find, you know, the yeah, think, clever way think, they wanted you to get there. Yeah, I think the emotional baggage does a lot better job of giving you platforming challenges. Although some of the tags yeah. are in like these really goofy locations. Yeah. But I think usually, usually when uh the the fact that Raz says, you know, oh, I think I hear some emotional baggage nearby, yeah. and there's an audio cue, you know, that makes you want to go out and search for it. Um, which I think is like the emotional baggage is sort of like the casual version of the figment, right? Right. Um, 
Yeah. No, and so those were, I, I think that dynamic of the game was really well served. And I also think what was, you know, I want to put in another thing is that the Psychonauts headquarters is not the only hub world in the game, right? right? There's actually, there's it ends four. up being, I would argue, what, three real, four, like? Four hub worlds. So there's, let's see, there's, there's. There's the questionable area, the Psychonauts HQ, the, um, the last area it's like green green vine valley or whatever right um, and then um the the quarry the quarry yeah. yeah okay yeah so that yeah i was forgetting about that last area which they introduced towards the end of the game yeah it's super um, it's super linear and less open than the other three. right but no it's still you know that, that's interesting too that i mean i had an unfortunate encounter with a bee this morning so i'm finding myself less sympathetic towards <laughs> that level which involves you clearing out some bees without actually annihilating them which is what i currently want to do to bees <laughs> right. even though i know they're integral to our climate but that's neither here nor there, I suppose. Uh, but I, I think each of these hub worlds is actually pretty great. I think one of the things we haven't mentioned is that this is the game that's also about Raz and his family history. And in fact, yeah. as the plot develops, you find out that the antagonist of this game, the main antagonist, who uh, you know is Lucretia, who is it turns out one of the in fact original founding members of the Psychonauts who part of right. her mind developed in this kind of like defensive reaction to a horrible, essentially political situation uh, and insincerity. In Raz and her home country, they, you find out early on that they both come from the same fictional country of Grulovia, which is right. given like an East, Eastern European uh, sense. Yeah, yeah there's, there's vaguely, and maybe this is something we can come back to, but there's a vaguely like, indirect critique of eastern european totalitarian regimes yes um and it is very vague and I, you know i've had some thoughts about that that we can get to maybe later yeah but the point here is that there's also this family dynamics you actually are introduced to raz's family who you know are acrobats and have their own circus right in the one wonderful level they're turned into fleas Aquato is the last name, and their family used to do like you know some like Sea World esque tricks, but then they were cursed uh, so that uh, the family members are supposed to die in water. Um, and it turns out that uh, the the main antagonist is the one who cursed the family in the first place. Um, you know, it's funny. One of the one of the ways I thought this game was going to end, I thought it was going to end with a proper water level, seeing oh, you swimming, because yeah, that would have made I so didn't much think sense. About that. Oh god! And may, maybe it's just because people generally hate water levels that they did not do that. But the antagonist right. at the end, the son of kind of like kaiju sized version uh, right. of the antagonist, does in fact attack you with blasts of water and whatnot yeah, so there's that thematic consistency but right is like unless yeah it's like thematically i don't see any minds to enter um that would be dealing with water so we can either be thankful that they didn't have like some sort of former sea world employee as a character or something that whose mind you enter uh, in in order to enact the water level um but yeah, just beating I, up whales or something. 
Okay. Oh God! Just like yeah, free them from the prison that is Sea World. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, yeah. yeah, I get that. I guess we're not Psychonauts doing Michael Jackson two. soundtracks anymore either. What? Either yeah, so no that, free Willy that references. Psychonauts Two Blackwater crossover. Oh jeez. <laughs> Matt, this is this is a spinoff I'd like to see. Um, <laughs> DLC. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I do wonder if we will get any kind of downloadable content. I can see challenge content or something. Yeah, like has has Double Fine ever done DLC? I, I feel like so. they've never had the money to do DLC. <laughs> yeah, I feel like our games have never sold well enough to incentivize right. it. Uh, this might though, right? And um, I know they're in development on another game, so maybe they've maybe they're fully pivoting towards that. Since this game also seems you know pretty bug free for the most part at least other than the occasional wonky camera which is to be expected from yeah although i did experience a couple soft locks where i had to uh exit exit level uh to get out of in um, the last mind uh because i was exploring too hard trying to find a tag um yeah and uh yeah those are the only bugs I experienced for a couple of soft locks, but thankfully it doesn't lock you out of just exiting level. And since I was yeah. revisiting uh, the level, I could just warp back there. I think the fast travel within levels, uh, I think is sort of a blessing and a curse because thematically, since their mind is fixed, these areas are no longer connected. So if you're like exploring an area, you just hit a dead end and have to go all the way, tra- either exit the level and yeah. come back or traipse all the way back to the dude who can warp you around to the different areas of the mind, which I'm sort of like thematically, it makes sense. But on, at a game design level, it's sort of like, eh. yeah. Yeah. So maybe let's talk a little bit more about the story too. So you know, you come in, you're in an internship program. Basically, one of the opening parts is this lesson that Raz learns about not messing with people's minds. He he develops his power, which is a new power for the sequel called Mental Connection that allows him essentially to rewire people's brains, right? It's kind right. of like to a make literalization. Them associate uh, two distinct thoughts with each other. And like the, the reason he goes into like the person who runs the Psychonauts HQ, I don't remember her title, but she's a great character, um, is like they really want to go on this casino heist mission, which is, you know, another throwback to spy, spy movies. Um, and she will not let them because they're aware that there's a mole in the Psychonauts uh, is who Dr. Lobato worked with. Um, and so it's too dangerous to let them out at all. Um, so what Raz does is during her lesson on how to use mental connection works his way deeper into her mind and associates, uh, going to the casino with, um, as, as a positive thing. And so, you know, they all, they all end up going to the casino and then, um, what happens is, uh, I can't believe I can't remember her name, but she gets basically turns into a gambling addict and goes to the casino to actually gamble, to make money for the psychonauts and solve all the psychonauts financial issues. Uh, which, you know, obviously then Raz has to go back in and rewire her brain after going through a level and finding a boss and, all that um but yeah and before that he gets to experience being hazed by his his new peers who they lock him in a closet and steal his clothes after they say they're going to give him a uniform um so yeah he has to and part of the reason he rewires her brain in in the first place is so he can be cool for his new friends because they want to go on the casino heist too um so this sort of peer pressure makes him 
do this thing. And what's uh, he thinks about uh, telling uh, his teacher that he was sort of under pressure to do this, but he never really does that. And I think it's uh, I, I think it shows a lot of growing up from where where he was at the beginning of the game that he's just like, yeah, I screwed up. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, and it's all my fault. I think one of the things that is an absolute strength of this game that I think you can already tell from one of the aspects about this game that related to the previous uh, game, the Psychonauts first, not the VR game, uh, is that even the antagonists, like the coach, are not antagonists in the classical sense of an enemy, right? There's somebody who is injured in some way, psychically injured, uh, traumatized or otherwise suffering, who turns that suffering into pain for other people. And the response to that is to try to lessen the pain all around, right? So I think one of the things that's set up uh, with, you know, Raz going into this mind and rewiring it and then learning a lesson about why you shouldn't do that uh, is that essentially not just that minds are fragile things that you have to be careful about. Right. But that's like how, how different people respond to pain and what they do with that. Either they uh, take it out on themselves in the case of Ford uh, who fractures his own mind because he's so lost or, you know, Raz, who is like, he doesn't want to be like seen as the loser. So he, you know, screws with somebody else's mind uh, just to make the, the pain and embarrassment of trying to associate himself with these new people uh, go away. Right. And one of the things you find out about, uh, I believe it's Hollis is her name. Yeah, Hollis. Yeah. Hollis Forsyth. Uh, one of the things you find out about her is that she was a doctor who basically I think she invented some kind of treatment yeah, and the idea wrote, was like, stolen. A really thesis, yeah. Yeah. Something. And the idea was stolen by like her male mentor in this kind yeah. of like all too typical misogynistic uh, story. Right. White and, male mentor. And she herself yeah, white is male um, not, not white. I don't think it's specified if she's like yeah. black or mixed race or what, but um, yeah. I mean, I think they present her as a person of color and there is this kind of like racist misogynistic dimension here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely misogyny at least is specifically yeah, mentioned. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you have, I think her distance in, I hate to use the word coldness because it's gendered, but her kind of like lack of willingness to really connect uh, with her students in a way that's as anything other than authority has in part to do with this pain that has never been resolved. And that, you know, has really just stuck with her in part of how you play through the levels in this weird combination hospital casino. Uh, yeah, and, it, and it's funny. We're, we're both teachers and we're both white male teachers. Um, and that it just by default, because of the, the culture we live in, gives us a sense of authority that non-white and non-male um, and non-cis uh, teachers have to like really work to generate this sort of authority. Yeah. Um, and I always That's tell my point. students on like day two, part of the reason that I can be so laid back in the classroom is because I am white male and have a beard, which all give me like this authority that the culture invokes in me incorrectly and how, you know, uh, teacher assessments are biased uh, against uh, not against non-male, uh, non-white teachers. 
Yeah. And to be clear, I think for better or worse, Double Fine tends to invoke political content, but can never really focus on it, if that it's makes true. sense. Yeah. I, I, I think they do an excellent job of reckoning with the psychic pain caused by a thing and a very less ideal or maybe just less interesting job reckoning with the conditions that produce it. I think uh, I, I don't think less interesting is necessarily the way to think about it. I think it just refuses to dwell on it and treats it as like a fact of life and this is how it is. But I mean which is almost I worse. mean <laughs> I mean uh, yeah, right. But I mean that that just shows I think and, and then we can debate all day about like whether, uh, you know, if they should be upfront about this point or not. And what, you know, where I think, I don't know, it's hard to say whether or not they should dwell more on things like that. But I think the fact that they put them in the game at all and leave you with something to think about, I think all the minds really do a great job of having sort of like they sort of tie up the loose ends at the end but there's still like facts of life that they have to live with and it's like it's not the job of the psychonauts to make you know huge sweeping cultural changes it's just to solve mental illness or issues in people's minds where it's I think like, it's a good way of putting it yeah yeah it's a therapeutic yeah. uh mode in other words like this is a game focused on psychology, mental health, mental illness. Uh, and it's, but it's not to yeah, the exclusion and it's not of politics, but of, it's yeah. not afraid of showing how things like racism and sexism um, contribute to mental illness. It's just that and there's no realistic way, both in real life and within the confines of the game that, um, you know, there's a way to like solve racism for an individual person to make their mental illness go away. You can only really just learn how to, how to, how to cope with, with mm. things up to a point. And this, I think it's a good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah. And, and I think you could say that there's like a political limitation there, but at the same time, it's also a game design choice that I think is a valid enough game design choice that has to do with the structure of the game as these Right. And we say that, but at, this, at the same time, it's like the the overarching plot of the game is inherently political because of how um, basically the, the main antagonist who uh, they basically lock in. Um, so what happens is we were talking about Raz's family earlier, is that uh, his grandmother, his or who they call Nona, um, ha is really the embodiment of the main antagonist. And the main antagonist has just sort of been locked in there uh, by the, uh, the, the big six or the psychonaut six or whatever they call them um, because they, they couldn't, you know, they didn't want to like kill her, but they weren't sure how to, how to solve her mental crisis. Like you said, it was a defense mechanism and, what basically happens is that um, the the royal family of Grulovia with uh, the people living in abject poverty and uh, basically started protesting and they they abused uh, Nona's power uh, as her her defensive alternate form is M Maligula, uh, which uses water to uh, 
wash away all of the uh, protesters and this inadvertently kills um, uh, Nona's sister who is Raz's real grandmother. Um, and so in, in Nona's guilt, she sort of um, locks Maligula away and they sort of seal, seal Maligula in Nona's body and then place her in Raz's family as um, just to keep her safe and keep Maligula locked away. Right. And, you know, the sort of, I guess, proper antagonist here or sort of proper antagonist is in fact the heir of the throne of um, Grulovia. Grul- yeah, the Grulovian prince. Yeah. Who's, who's been, who's infiltrated the psychonauts and been, you know, the male clerk there. Uh, right. Then, he was, he, no, he was that brain in a jar. Well, he was the male clerk. No, that was Helmet. Yeah. Right. Right. He was the male clerk, but he took his brain. Yeah. He took his brain and put it in the grand head. Right. uh, And was sort of, and then had put the uh, grand head's brain in a jar. And so there was this whole kind of like bait and switch thing that happened there. Brain switcheroo. Yeah, exactly. And he's trying to bring Maligula back. I love the male clerk's name being um, Nick John Smith. Yes. (laughs) Like the most ridiculous, clearly fake name you can imagine. But the way they put it, the way they put it into the game is like um, uh, Raz barely makes the intern team. So they give him like the lowest... sort of mentor they can so they put him in the mail room and so they you know uh hollis tells him uh your mentor is nick john smith and you feel like this is a made-up person but it turns out there's really a person named nick john smith however he's not really nick john smith at all <laughs> he's actually the bad guy he's uh, the bad guy yeah and so i think you know the game does a nice job of having these twists and turns yeah. i you know, it's a game where I will say the story is interesting enough, and I do think has some moving elements. Oh, but yeah. I don't know if anybody's going to ultimately play this game primarily for its narrative. The narrative is almost like right a I good mean, excuse for really cool, creative worlds. That's what really makes and this humor game. And, and humor, humor right? Yeah. But yeah, nobody plays a Mario game for the story, and it's you know one of the best-selling yeah. franchises of all right. time. Just but, but I, do, I want to give it more credit than that because I do think oh, there's like I'm, a distinction. Yeah, I'm there. just as an yeah. example of people do not play action platformers for the story. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I think you know what this game absolutely excels at are its worlds, and maybe that's this is a good place to talk about some of our favorites yes. and some of our least favorite. And so one of the worlds that's my favorite, I actually wrote off a pitch to a magazine to write about uh, the game, this game's relationship to the 1960s. Um, and one of my favorite worlds is what is essentially the video game version of two Beatles albums, namely <laughs> Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and the Magical Mystery Tour. Um, and I mean, I'm not making this up at all. I don't think I think not only the music, not yeah. only the color palette, but even just like the costumes, everything oh, yeah, is like, dude, this is the, such a direct um, reference to that. Yeah. The second half of the eye world of the sensorium was my favorite track on the, on the soundtrack. Oh my by God. Far. That, that guitar so strumming because the white album is the, is the only good Beatles album in my <laughs> uh, black metal ears. Um, 
No, but yeah, it, no, this, this those levels it. are brilliant. They, I think they're the brightest levels in the game. They turn psychedelia literally and into, figuratively. Yeah. Yes. They did. They turn <laughs> psychedelia into uh, a really interesting platforms. They, what they do is they divide the senses up and then make these kind of like sub levels based on the different senses. So like smelling yeah. and hearing, uh, seeing, and, and they have all these ridiculous voice clips where it's like the only thing we see are rainbows just divided up or whatever, you know, yeah. just prototypical 60s, like you just dropped acid. Here's yeah. here's some truth bombs from someone's acid trip. Exactly. This is yeah. this is the acid dropping level. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh and it's just so wonderfully well done. And I will say it's actually also. I think it's really well done in that what this game does well narratively is not its overarching narrative, which I think is fine, not great, but fine, yeah. but these sub narratives. And so the level, um, this focuses on the Psy King and the Psy King is a uh, helmet yeah. um, bear uh, who disappeared for years and was one of these founding members of the Psychonauts. And it ends up being about, him sort of collecting himself and becoming whole again, but also about because his relationship. His brain was stuck in a jar for so many years. So it was yeah. literally healing him uh, and make, giving him control of his senses again, because what happens is uh, Nick John Smith shows up without a brain at all. Um, so, you know, Raz is like, Oh, I got to find a brain for him to uh, be able to continue my psychonauts training. Right. So he goes and gets a brain from Otto Mentalis um, who just has like a vat of a bunch of brains. And this one happens to be Helmut's brain. And so he's been in a jar so long that th part of the reason uh, he has to, you know, all the world sort of divided into senses. He has to learn how to be a human being again and, and do things like walk and see and, here uh because you know the second you put the brain in it's sensory overload and that's when you uh experience or meet the panic attack enemy for the very first time which to me was the toughest regular enemy in the game uh because they're so fast um which is appropriate but like you said how this game is so good at writing uh, little ideas and uh, narrative pieces into its its design and the levels and the enemies and the figments and the collectibles. It's just it's just brilliant. That's the best part of Psychonauts for me. Absolutely, and and I, and I do want to give a hat tip towards I think some of the best character moments in the game surround Helmet in part because not only do you have Helmet at this part of the game, but you also have his husband, yes. uh, Bob, Bob, at another part of the game. And so you go a few levels later and end up healing Bob in the level of Bob's bottles. And that ends yeah. up like coming together with that previous level. And you see this kind of reunion. And it's actually right. quite touching. It's an incredible reward because the sensorium is like the third level in the game. And Bob's is like either the third to last or fourth to last, depending yeah, on that's who right. you go to first. And getting that payoff is, is incredible. And they have this they like part of the reason bob is so distraught is because of of losing helmut his husband um so much so that like the last half of bob's level is basically like reliving them falling in love and their wedding absolutely and and it's just you know you have a it's great it's like a wedding cake level yeah you know, and the wedding like cake down. is helmut yeah exactly and so i i think this game 
it would be, I think, a poor critique of this game to say it has a bad story. I think it would be more accurate to say if you're looking for like a beat by beat story that's going to be moving, this might not be it. But if you're looking for a game that has this like organically tight connection between level design and character development, and sometimes yeah. character development that's quite moving, this is a great game, right? Yeah. Incredible game. And so, yeah, and I and I I do think that there is this way in which the levels themselves actually kind of transform as you go through them sometimes to kind of mimic this process of making somebody whole. And I think yes. that is done really quite well. Yeah. Um, and my um yeah, I think I, I think literally and figuratively, that's part of why uh, Ford's Fractured Mind was my favorite level in the game. Um, even though it's divided up into three separate sort of like mini levels but that mm -hmm. sort of holds holds with i think what a lot what guided their um whole philosophy for level design is there are lots of there a hand each level is really a handful of very open spaces that are divided up in such a way that you're not overwhelmed um like thinking about the shift uh going back 20 years from banjo kazooie to banjo tooie is one of the one of the issues with banjo tooie and i think uh less so with donkey kong 64 both by rare is that the worlds were just too big uh, you're just overwhelmed, constantly getting lost to get from one end to the other takes 20 minutes. Um, but I think what Psychonauts was able to Psychonauts 2 was able to do is give you these really big worlds, but divide them up into chunks so that you're not overwhelmed and you can sort of divide and conquer. And that's sort of how how brains work in a sense is, you know different areas of the brain have different things going on. Um, and yeah, I think Ford's fractured mind uh, between like the first part of, well, yeah, the first part of, well, I guess it depends. You can, you can, you can do the fake fracture. Yeah. You can do each one in any order. I think I accidentally did them chronologically somehow. Um, okay. Is that, uh, you know, there's a level that's devoted to his experience in Grulovia and trying to uh, stop Maligula and trying to like fix uh, fix her so that she doesn't uh, continue wiping out uh, peaceful protesters. And what happens is is Raz to finish that part of the mind actually has to basically kill these little lice that crawl all over him and don't let him jump. Right, because um, this is the barber level. Yeah, this is the barber level. Um, and and when you do that, Ford mentions that, like, hey, they were just peaceful protesters. And like that's the that's the first inkling you get is that the overarching narrative is going to have like this political connotation, right? Mm -hmm. And at even at the very end of the game, when Raz is talking to uh, the Grulovian prince, whatever his name was, I can't remember. Um, he he says, uh, uh, Grulovia was never great. It was a middling uh, country at best. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and then the second level of Fords is there's a strike city where you where most of it is spent uh, on top of rolling on bowling balls, uh, re sort of reimagining his first date with um, with Nona. Uh, slash Lily, and then there is uh, the mail room, which is Ford basically sending a letter to Lily that never got there. Um, and yeah, I I don't know. I just think 
how you experience his memories in those individual uh, levels is just was just so cool to me. Plus, I think the platforming had the most variety, uh, which I think is a little bit easier when it's treated so separately. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what made it overall the best level for me. Um, the bowling although... section is the bowling section of the, uh, yeah. you know, when he's the shoe polisher at the bowling alley. That is amazing. Oh, I love yeah. that. Oh, right. And the shoot, like the, like in the city is populated by germs because, you know, they're bowling shoes, like hundreds of people wear these things and you can like roll over them with the bowling ball and they'll react in funny ways. (laughs) There's just so much heart in every, in every piece of the game. And it's like, people will not stop using the adjective charm to describe a Mario game. But this is like, if, if a Mario game has charm, this must have like some sort of jouissance level of charm to it. (laughs) Um, But yeah. um, And then like, I divided my favorite favorite levels into like gameplay and story. And overall, I think story-wise Bob's bottles was the best because it's like, how do you take, alcoholism and make it lighthearted enough for this game um and 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 the neglect he faced from his own mother and And it takes you a second even to realize that that's what it's referencing or at least maybe i'm just slow but i was like oh bottles yeah right yeah yeah it's like the the divisions of the level are in bottles and then um you know what in that swamp area there are bottles that you have to hop on to get to the next uh, safe area um but yeah and then i think and here's where we disagree the most i thought gameplay wise uh the cook-off was such an original and fun concept i didn't mind the timer at all because it's the only level that used a timer um and i thought Maybe it was just the atmosphere was so additive to the gameplay where you had the you would pick up members of the of the Iron Chef style show were actual ingredients. And it was sort of weird to be like this. This onion is excited to get thrown in the blender, but you're not or get chopped up, but you're not actually killing them. You're just sort of transforming them, thankfully. Otherwise, it would be a, a very brutal game. But I thought I thought the the variety it gave you and sort of having these separate cooking stations, um, I think was a, was a fun way to show all of the different uh, platforming uh, things going on in Psychonauts all in one level. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I have to admit, I, I liked the idea of that level a lot. It's just the bosses in the timer because you can actually, and this is just part of my own hangup, says you can actually do it without worrying about the timer. Like the only thing the timer affects is what reward you get. But of course, if I have a timer hanging over my head, I have to do it in that time. Right. And yeah. and so it felt like I didn't get to learn the level in the same way that I would in other levels. And it sort of makes sense because the level's more actually constrained. It's dense rather than expansive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I yeah, the, it just drove me a little crazy. Comment makes a lot of sense. Maybe that's why I liked it so much. But at the yeah. same time, it's like after the first uh first challenge, which gives you like forever to do it, you're that's free true. to explore the level before you start the next round. And maybe so that's my that, fault. That helped a little bit. Yeah, I yeah. actually didn't realize I was free to explore until after I started the th- or after I beat the second challenge. And then I'm like, I don't know where anything is. Can I just explore? Oh, I can. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's a little on me as well, admittedly, which is that I just didn't 
yeah do that and i should have you know it's like okay next challenge yeah and um then, so even though we agreed that the boss of this level was like a formality and a bit of a slog i was cackling the whole time uh because it was just too funny hearing um i can't remember the character's name compton no. yeah yeah it's because it's compton's cook oh yeah compton one. yeah compton say no goat vomit is not one of the ingredients we need <laughs> Um, no but, that is pretty good yeah and hearing that and um you know hearing his anxiety come you know uh come out all the time while you're dodging puke uh from puppets <laughs> is just endlessly amusing to me although we agree that like you had to dig the ingredients out of the vomit using uh telekinesis and neither of us was able to tell what ingredient was which you just sort of had to pull it and then the game would lambaste you if it wasn't the ingredient you needed or you know and it's it's just sort of like an rng thing that wasn't designed well or something but i think i think that might have something to do with the fact that you know as you stated earlier the boss some of the boss fights were going to get cut until microsoft came in um so it's possible that they just uh thought they had the boss done and didn't think it all the way through or something but yeah, I guess I will say that, like, if I'm going to talk about the mechanical weakness of this uh, game, most of them have to do with, and, and and maybe this is unfair because this is speculation, it feels like they added some things once they got more money and overcomplicated some things. So, like, one thing you complained about, for example, was uh the having to go into the menu to rearrange your power so much which i found quite frustrating as well yeah because like the flow state i was talking about earlier i think i think what would have made the levels somehow even better um from a platforming perspective is just focus on a few um abilities at a time but there are so many instances where it's like, okay, you want the lev ball on a key at all times because that's yeah. basically your sprint button. Um, but then the other three are like used for co combat and platforming switching and the constant switch between combat and platforming uh, made me constantly go into the menu. And then there would always be like a fourth platforming element where I would have to pull up the menu uh, and equip a different sort of uh, power for platforming. And then uh, I think the bad mood was probably the least thought out um, enemy in the game, although you don't face a whole lot of them. And I thought it was cool to work clairvoyance into uh, a combat ability. But at the same time, you just sort of like puts around until they're like, OK, it's open to clairvoyance. And then you clairvoyance run into the thing and then there's beat up this uh, static figure and then it's done. Uh, that was more of an annoyance than anything. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I hate to say the obvious, but there are more buttons on the controller right. that have been used. And I'm just like, there's a certain point. It's like, use the face buttons, maps. Well, buttons. They did. So I was thinking about this literally uh, 20 minutes before we started uh, the podcast. And it was like, A is jump. B is this weird, like, dive button, dodge, yeah, dive button. Uh, X, not is your, dodge. X is your melee. And then Y is your interact buttons. Yeah. And then they use... They use all the directions, right? The I suppose that's bad. So all, and then the right stick is camera controls. So I don't know if like they could have put the interact button to be a as well as jump, but 
I feel like every time that's done, you get weird things happening uh, and people get frustrated where it's like, I, uh, I have to move one foot closer for this to be interact instead of jump. And I don't know, but you would think that four equip slots when you only have what nine powers, eight or nine powers would be yeah. enough. But the fact that you always want Levval uh, on so you can move at a decent pace um, yeah, the, because the walking, the, the default pace, there's no sprint. The default pace is pretty slow. The sprint no is sprint. like the dodge button, really. Yeah. But that's like awkward and you like, you can't like change direction yeah. in the middle of it, I don't think. So you it's, can roll on a ball, which is actually kind of cool. I kind of yeah. like that. Oh, right? yeah. and, it's, and it's character wise, it makes yeah, sense because he's right. It makes sense with his acrobatic background. Same with like the swinging on poles. Like it makes sense that Rasputin is in a platforming game where he can take his acrobatic skills, you know, into people's minds to solve their platforming problems. Um, but yeah, and then I think the the pin system was like super duper underdeveloped. Um, like they're and those were like the only things you spend a currency on in the game other than psycho pops, which are like healing things. And then the dream fluffs, which are like fairies from Zelda. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like once you get all the pins and like, I think once you get to rank like 50 or something out of 102, they give you like, there's a pin for half off all other pins. Um, and the fact that you could only equip three pins at once was a real hassle because there are pins that are combat focused. And then there are pins that are like help you in other ways. So it's like to optimize your gameplay, you have to equip a new set of pins when you enter combat, then equip a new set of pins when you exit combat. So I this was is how not... you can tell you're the JRPG player. Yeah, and I'm not. I know. I was, because not... I was just like, I'm going to ignore the pins entirely. Yes. I, I always I, had a surplus of currency because of that. Yep. Yeah, no, I'm one of those people who's like, all right, I've got 99 uh, elixirs. I think I'm ready for the final boss. And then oh I my never God. use one. I literally <laughs> never bought an elixir. I was yeah. like, oh, I don't think I need these. And I played <laughs> the first real. I was like, yeah, I'm never buying this. But yeah, I bought all the pins for the sake of completion, but I kept the same three pins, like the whole game, like the the melee uh, power upgrade once I got it, the double money upgrade, and then the money for doing mental connections uh, just to make money to buy more pins to complete the game, really. All Um, of which is to say the game's the games get a little bit of flab. And by flab here, I don't just mean like bloat, like too muchness. I mean like too muchness because they didn't like pull it in tightly enough right like the systems aren't always integrated well enough yeah and it's not, it doesn't attract too much right like it's mildly annoying on occasion is what i found right and it's like without yeah it's like without the pins though there's or i guess you can upgrade your side powers for ranking up but they give you more incentive to rank up because you have to be a certain rank to use uh, certain pins um but yeah it's like the yeah i just don't know what to make of the of the pin system it just seems in the in the fact that there's currency at all it yeah. seems like just it, 
a distraction on some level like the currency gave you more to like find in the open world you find these these little pink blobs sticking out of the ground and out pops a bunch of currency which is a weird way to do it and i guess enemies sometimes drop currency but the battles in this game are so infrequent that uh there would be no way to make enough currency if that was the sole means of acquiring currency but yeah it like just added an unnecessary sort of collectible that you can also collect in the overworld um as well um but yeah i i'm not wild about the the currency or the pins they felt like at least uh comparing it to donkey kong 64 again at least it wasn't like the regular bananas which there are 500 100 yeah. for each kong and the bananas are necessary to unlock the boss so you can advance in the game and that was that's just a huge hassle so at least the these were purely optional absolutely and i i think that's this is the thing is this is a very this is a game Full of pleasures, a game that's kind to the player. Hell, it has it has an invincibility mode. If you're somebody who doesn't want to deal with dying on the regular yeah. or who worries about that, you don't have to, right? Like yeah, you can just use an invincibility mode. Yeah, it's great. Um, speaking of JRPGs, it's great how much more accessible Western games are than Japanese design games. They're just like accessibility brightness. Like yeah. they just do not care. No, I and mean, in, there, there are some exceptions, Nintendo being the most obvious one, I would say. Yeah, in even, recent years, even they, I don't think they go far enough. Like, I've seen indie developers just have like a bevy of options yeah, to make Celeste sure everyone can example play their games. Yeah, and it's like Microsoft has their adaptive controller, which is just like a marvel of engineering. Um, whereas Nintendo is always like, well, if you can't use our controllers, you got to buy someone else's or make your own. Or, yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, it's, it, we, we're talking about a funny industry that like was invented in the United States, almost died and then got reinvented <laughs> in Japan. Right. And now is a global industry with a strange set of tensions between like European, Japanese like, and American styles of you know, I don't even work think it's culture and production. They just all just sort of coexist and people like the different things in different it, ways. It, it depends. Like, I think if you look at some of what has to happen in Sweden for the Swedish-based EA studios, for example, with the work laws in Sweden, uh, because oh, don't yeah. forget that like EA's main game engine comes out of Sweden. Oh yeah, um, Frostbite. Yeah, so like there are, I think you're right. They mostly coexist, but I think there's also weird, like overlapping models that don't always. Yeah. I think it's always like government things. And the fact that these are like imported goods in a sense, there's always the classic that situation with Europe. And then there's like every single game that, especially online multiplayer games, like Hearthstone, where it's like the dollar, the U S dollar somehow equal to one, like three euros in Activision Blizzard's mind or something, you know, and dealing with exchange rates and things like that. Um, and then there's always like the censorship thing where it's like, you couldn't play manhunt in Australia. And I think there were like certain parts of fallout three in new Vegas censored in Germany or something. Um, yeah. And it's like, yeah, uh, things like that. I think it's less, yeah, I think it's less the companies themselves are more like how they produce these games or change them to make them uh, legal 
uh, for certain audiences, especially, you know, and I don't want to open a can of worms here, but the way China is going, like how many um, sort of concessions that developers have to make to make their games right. uh, sell sellable in China. Um, like you can't have smoking at all. Uh, there's that. I, th- I think this is like an urban myth, but they have something with like skeletons. You can't show skeletons in some way. I feel like that's some like internet mythos that somebody made up though. Um but yeah. Well, I think before we get too far off track, why don't we just wrap up our discussion of Psychonauts 2? I think, you know, overall, I think we both really like the game. It's yeah, game certainly for me so a game of the year. You know? it, not only the best game I've played this year, but of like the two games I've played that came out this year, it is the best. <laughs> What's the other game? I don't remember. Uh, oh, <laughs> so, MLB, so... MLB The Show, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Mario Golf. Um, Mario Golf, I think are the only three games I've played that have come out this year because Game Pass has given me this window to catch up on all these games I That's missed. Um, did Bravely Default 2 come out this year? Yeah, I, I think, think so, it did. Yeah. So I played that too. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a great game. Definitely, I think we both recommend it to other people. You know, play it where you can. It seems like all the versions are doing well and are good to play. Yeah. And I looked up Metacritic when you were talking about critic rankings. I think the lowest was an 87 for one of the, yeah. for like PC or something. And then it was like as high as 91 on the Xbox yeah. One. So, And it's I think it's funny because I think it's going to be a game that sort of, much in the same way that first Psychonauts did, it's going to lodge itself in people's hearts even more so than ratings might indicate. Yeah, yeah, but like I said, the the it'll be critic. It's critically lauded, just like a bunch of other Double Fine games. We just got to hope the sales, for the sake of people who want to see Psychonauts yeah. three, we got to hope the sales reflect that. And I hope Game Pass, its appearance, both the first and second game, and Brutal Legend being yeah. on Game Pass, like opens a window for people to realize how great a studio Double Fine is. Like mm-hmm. even if all their games are not at the level of Psychonauts 1 and 2, they still are trying new things. And that's something that uh, at least the whiners on Reddit are really obsessed with is like uh, people are sick of like, you know, the land-based sports games for being the same game every year or Call of Duty. You know, Double Fine is sort of like, you know, one of the few studios, uh, like I guess double A studios in a sense that's out there trying new things instead of like rehashing over and over. And it's like, even in, even in the sequel Psychonauts two, I think they tried a lot of new things. They gave you new powers, new enemies. I think combat was a bigger part of the game and their, their combat expansion, I think went really well. Um, the combat never felt it, it's a little clunky, but that's fine for an action yeah. platform, but the enemy, it's not variety, devil may cry. Yeah, the enemy variety was much improved, and I think that uh, lended itself to not just fighting censors over and over and hearing, no, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, also shout out to the fact that they got, uh, have you ever watched Invader Zim? I've watched an episode or two. Okay, so Rasputin and Zim have the same voice actor, and you remember his robot companion, Gur, right? Vaguely, yeah. Yeah, so the last ability you get which is the the paper uh whatever they call that they got Gur's voice actor to do that so it was like watching an episode of invader zim and the the double raz has the same personality as Gur, just a little bit different diction and oh my god nostalgia hit me like a molecular wave it was incredible but i just Uh, had to shout that out really quickly (laughs) 
I think it's a great place to end on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks folks for listening. And, you know, we'll be back with more spoiler casts, I'm sure in the near future. <laughs>